0: Hello, and welcome to the second edition of Report Digest, where we break down a report published by our sister product, Tracker. With me today is Mike Carmody, author of a recently published report titled Neuromodulation Spinal Cord Stimulation Devices Market. So just to start, can you give me a summary of the spinal cord stimulation devices market? Why does it exist? Where geographically is it centered? And what conditions can devices currently treat?
1: Uh, yes. Yes. Um well, starting with the why, this market is seen as a alternative to pharmaceutical-based therapies. Pain medications uh, aren't exactly perfect. Yes, they're cheap to produce, but they can lose their efficacy due to a uh, patient-developing tolerance. It can potentially be addictive, unpleasant side effects, etc. In the worst possible case, they can have all three of these issues uh that combined with the current opioid epidemic has created a demand for an effective long-term solution of the non-pharmaceutical variety as to where the overwhelming majority of that markets America uh this may be due to differences with the economic foundations between our medical services and those of other nations such as the UK Japan etc which are more publicly uh, oriented so for example the NHS in the UK they draw their budget from taxes. There's a finite amount of money within that pool every year. This forces a more conservative approach when it comes to treating pain because you don't want to potentially waste that money. So it's more of a wait and see if it's effective with the American market, if it actually is shown to be efficacious equally, if not more so than, say, OxyContin, uh, then yes, they might adopt it in the future. But as it stands, the lion's share of the market is the United States. Um, As for what it is used for, chronic pain, Uh, namely back pain, injuries to spinal cord, arthritis, neuropathic pain, complex regional pain syndrome, phantom limb. The largest group of patients would normally be people with um, diabetic peripheral neuropathy. On paper, these groups appear to be large. Uh, However, there's an extensive list of exclusion criteria. If you have a pacemaker, hemophilia, scoliosis, or even certain psychological conditions, uh, this would serve to be an exclusion criteria, so you can't have it. The result is less than 40,000 people every year get a a, a spot for simulator. Now there actually is some interesting uh, news regarding a potential new disease added to that list. Parkinson's. There is actually a several new studies out that indicate that spinal cord stimulation would be effective for uh, treating certain aspects of Parkinson's disease, namely gait function and postural stability. Now, normally you treat Parkinson's with levodopa carbidopa, but again, over time that may lose efficacy due to the patient building tolerance. Whereas spinal cord stimulation, you don't really get a um, a tolerance to having your nervous system uh, hit with an electrical impulse. That doesn't build tolerance, so this would be more long-term. The trials are ongoing, but should they be successful, the market
0: could grow. Fantastic, fantastic. You already mentioned the interplay with the fallout of the opioid crisis, but are there any other major driving factors? Well, this would also be an issue of sustainability, uh, whereas a
1: a pill, like okay, so, with pills, there's a um, a chance of lower efficacy overall. There's also issues of compliance. There's also issues of uh, long-term costs. Whereas with a device such as this, if it were to be implanted, it's one and done for the most part, provided there are no uh, side effects or uh, migration of the leads, et cetera.
0: So, who are the major market players? How did they get to their positions?
1: Uh, In that case, I would say is uh, big companies make up like almost all of the market. Uh, Medtronic, Boston Scientific, Abbott, and Nebro. Medtronic is the biggest company, not only in this case, but within the uh, medical devices market, it is one of the dominant players. Um, It owes its share due to an incredibly large amount of resources and experienced personnel, uh, all these things are at disposal. So, for example, uh, they have experience with both material and medical science, they need to produce and innovate, uh, be is the design of leads, batteries, etc. So, they have the full infrastructure there. Not only that, but they're very well acquainted with the bureaucratic elements of uh, bringing products to market. So, it's a well oiled machine that brings technology from the drawing boards to the marketplace in a very efficient manner. So, they can but they basically know how to navigate not only the U.S. market, but the European market, the Japanese market. Uh, so that's their biggest strength right there. Uh, not only that, but they can actually afford to innovate. So let's say a design doesn't work out so well. Well, the rest of the company has the finances to overcome that loss, so it could be a loss leader. Now, Boston Scientific and Abbott, they're both nearly tied for second place. They're neck and neck, and they're both very competent companies. Uh, They have very good innovations, and Abbott, which is actually very recently joined this market uh, due to their acquisition of St. Jude's Medical in 2017, they've managed to show they're not nearly copying St. Jude's designs, but they are adapting and producing their own new designs they are very effective. But the one company that actually interests me the most is Nevro. They're the smallest company out of the four, but they're a dark horse in this race is a small company out of California with uh, is relatively new in this market. Their first FDA approval, I think it was like 2015. And between then and now, it's like seven years, they managed to go from 0% to a double-digit portion of the market very rapidly. Unlike the other companies, which have multiple different areas of expertise, be it like pacemaker, spinal cord simulators, et cetera, this company only focuses on spinal cord simulators. That's it. Uh, so this allows for all the resources to be put, for better or worse, into one area. So every aspect of their company from top-down, management, marketing, et cetera, is focused on this one device so they know it backwards and forwards. So hopefully this will serve
0: them well. Are there any major upcoming or recent releases that could be significant to the market?
1: Oh, yes. A uh, standout release is this uh, a new uh, device, a Sprint PNS by uh, SBR Therapeutics. Now, this one's interesting because, oh, actually, for several reasons, it's the first temporary and short-term neuromodulation system, and it works for both acute and chronic pain relief. So, uh, the FDA cleared it for use of up to 60 days, and it's uh, very interesting because it's less costly, less invasive, and it doesn't involve surgery or major incisions. Uh, it's an outpatient procedure to implant this device. And so this would allow for a significant gap to be filled between opioid prescriptions and well full-on uh, SCS implantation. So the device itself is about the size of a matchbox. And it's externally mounted to the patient with like a sticky pad, glue, essentially. And it has a, from it a lead that will extend. And you basically plug this lead into the offending peripheral nerve and you stimulate there. So this means that you can specifically target an area, but you don't have to worry about potentially paralyzing the patient or introducing an infectious agent to the spinal column, etc. cetera. So the overall risks are much reduced. Likewise, you do not need to have a specialized surgeon. You don't need to have full facilities, uh, this, which would actually open up a very big bottleneck in the market. There's other minimally invasive designs like uh, Freedom SCS by Stimwave and all of this shows that there's a trend moving towards easier to implant, less invasive designs.
0: Brilliant. So we've discussed kind of what's driving the market, new releases, market leaders. Um, but what do you think are the biggest limiting factors to the market?
1: Actually, the, well, between uh, when I published the report and last week, a lot of things have changed in the market. Uh, so up until recently, the biggest limiting factor was... Um, supply chain deficiencies related to the COVID pandemic. So lockdowns, et cetera, affecting the production of materials and the shipping of materials. So basic uh, logistical issues that could be overcome by hook or by crook. However, now there is a more serious issue. The invasion of Ukraine actually has tossed that assumption right out. So here's the thing. A major export of Ukraine is noble gases. Neon, xenon, argon, etc. You need these to basically fuel the lasers needed to create these chips. To put it into context, Ukraine produces about 70% of the world's neon. Neon's used in lithography, which is a crucial step in the chip production process. Argon's used for etching so on and so forth. Without these gases, the entire production comes to a halt. If you don't have these gases, you cannot produce these chips. <laughs> Likewise, Russia produces about 39% of the world's palladium. And palladium is used uh for the pins that conduct electricity on chips. Again, if you don't have palladium, you can't make a chip. And Russia is being hit by sanctions. Ukraine is uh, being invaded. So overall, the actual resources needed to make these chips are unavailable or their availability will be deeply impacted. Yes, other countries can produce these things, but it'll take time for the production of said resources to be ramped up. Uh, The end result is a resource-based impact rather than the issue of logistics. With logistics, you can hire new drivers, use alternative methods of shipping, etc. But on a resource-based limitation, everything falls back to simple supply and demand. Supply is at a critical low for the time being, therefore prices will increase. Uh, there's already been like a very substantial increase of these materials, like it cost cost these materials over time. Uh, for example, palladium was $1,300 roughly in 2019. Uh, 2021, it was $2,900 per ounce. So uh, it would appear that these prices will be increasing to a very large degree. Other limiting factors, I touched upon this earlier, is a lack of trained personnel um simply put operating a spinal cord is hard i don't think uh, that's up for debate um you you would need a surgeon that specialized in spinal columns uh neurosurgery etc which is already hard to find because it takes upwards of 14 years to train one of these people uh then you also need to pay them so that's well in the united states that's a very high salary not like that you need all the other surgeons and all of the other staff members that go along with that. And there's so many people with these skills, only so many people. Likewise, the cost of these devices themselves on a good day is also high, between 30 and 45,000 American dollars. And that number appears to only be going up due to these issues. So these other bottlenecks, um, for the time being, may not be alleviated because training takes time. Now with a device like a Sprint PNS uh, you might actually have an alleviation of bottlenecks for the other issues, supply, logistics, that will take time.
0: Many thanks for that Mike. You can learn more about this report over on MedDevice Tracker's report library where new reports are published on a regular basis. Moreover, MedDevice Tracker covers upcoming market catalysts and recent impactful events. Many thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Bye bye.